Welcome, welcome, welcome to the next episode of Two Confirmations. My name is Paul. My name is Chris. And we are the Black Brothers. And today we are here to dive into the different crypto assets. Why are there so many coins and what are they all about? To build off of our prior conversation about decentralization and, and fixing uh, the need for, in this case, a trustless solution in the financial industry, I want to kind of start on to how do we fix solutions in other industries? What other broken systems are there? I first want to ask you, Chris, why is there a need for these different cryptocurrencies? What do we mean when we say the system is broken? Not just in the financial industry, but in other systems throughout the world. I mentioned last time um, that as we learned about cryptocurrency, we started to realize the brokenness of the current systems because of these solutions. These solutions were posing um, better answers. And, uh, and some of those didn't come to light uh, until we really took a look at it. So one example of that would be, if you look at Facebook, um, you know, it was this great solution that just kind of came out and you're like, oh yeah, like the, this is great. I get to like connect with my friends. I get to use this. Um, but then some of these problems have happened like uh, Cambridge Analytica where one company has all sorts of access to tons of user profiles and tons of persona information about each of us. Um, and so the, the term that they use for that is a honeypot where it's you know, one uh, centralized place where if a company gains access to it, they have access to all of our data, right? Um, and so uh, you can imagine a world in where that's decentralized, where you actually own your data and you have to elect to allow each of these third-party companies to gain access to it. So there's solutions out there um, like Basic Attention Token or like even Brave, which is a whole other browser that's meant to start to solve this uh, for advertising, to allow advertisers to advertise to uh, users, but still let them have control and access to their own information. Cool. So, yeah, uh, so that, that's one example, and I'm, I'm not diving deep into it. You know, I'm sure we'll do that at, you know, when we talk about the technology in another episode. Um, another example of a, a broken system would just be the financial infrastructure. Uh, something we talked about last time was uh, trusted third parties, right? And your bank is a trusted third party. And uh, the problem doesn't come to light as easily in a, a place where we basically trust our government. So, you know, here living in the US, I basically trust my government. Um, I don't assume that they're just gonna shut down something for no reason, right? Or that I would have zero recourse. Sure, that may happen to a few people here and there, but it's not widespread abuse of that. Uh, there are other countries, uh, for instance, China, where uh, you know, their, their form of currency, uh, WeChat, can get just shut down by the government if they don't like what you're saying, or even if a family member says something and, and they don't like what that family member said, they might shut down the whole family's accounts and you no longer have access to your accounts. So that's a problem of having a trusted third party, having control of the currency. Um, so it can be censored or your access can be- Exactly. Uh, limited. Yeah, and so in that case, the answer is to censorship prevention, right? So how would you do that? Well, we're gonna dive into some of the, the coins that would allow 
that one of their features is censorship resistance, right? Um, and another example of this, uh, again, I didn't see the problem until I saw other solutions that fixed it, and it's like, oh my gosh, that is a problem. And so I want you to imagine, Paul, imagine a world where you didn't have an email address, where you wanted to go and create an account somewhere, but you didn't have email. Uh, how would you get access to an online bank account? How would you get access to Slack? You know, how would you initially create an account and then get that authorization code? All of that goes through email, right? And I've read articles about, oh, email's dead. Well, it's not dead because it's the way that we still gain access and, and create these accounts. Uh, but you can imagine if all the email servers were centralized, you know, or even uh, internet service providers, they're the ones that are giving you access to the internet. Those are all centralized and are, are trusted third parties. Um, and so if, if somebody wanted to, they could lock you out or they could prevent access. You know, if Google were evil, they could then limit your access or they could filter out emails that they didn't want you to get. Now all of a sudden, you know, that, again, that censorship where, where you can't gain access. It also seems like a problem where I have to log into one website and I've got a security check there. If I want to use another website or another service, I've got a security check there. Yep. And so again, it just seems like I'm vulnerable, not just one uh, through one means, but through every, you know, multiple, multiple times over right. uh, that I'm using this one insecure, um, I think you've used the phrase before, like in, it's almost insecure by default. Correct. Um, yeah. and, and, and not to extrapolate there, but just the idea that it seems like, you know, this idea of authentication mm -hmm. uh, has, Again, I didn't think it was a problem logging into my email until, yeah. oh, there's other, there could be other solutions. Yeah. If you've never thought about this, it's almost like if you had your driver's, uh, your driver's license like taped to your window where anybody walking by could just see it, um, email saves everything in plain text. So when, if you send passwords through email, uh, a hacker doesn't have to intercept the email because that, that email is stored on Google servers they could hack into it and three years ago, five years ago, could look at those previous emails and then get that, that password. Now, of course, there are you know, second layer solutions on top of that to, to help prevent that. Um, but yeah, it, it's insecure by default. Uh, and so there's projects that are coming out that help you to secure your identity and give you control over what, what pieces of information you're giving away. Because each website you sign up for, you're giving away you know, your mother's maiden name and your password and all that stuff. Whereas if there was a better way to control your identity um, using a, a decentralized system like cryptocurrencies um, and like projects that are coming out, it, that solves that. All right, so let's dive into those uh, solutions. Yeah, well, so you've really thought a lot about the, the different categories or uh, to use a fancy word, the heuristic models around uh, cryptocurrencies. Heuristics is just a, a way of dividing up information or a, a system to fall back on to simplify something. So um, what are, uh, what's one of those uh, categories or a heuristic model for cryptocurrency? Another way to ask that would be, why are there so damn many cryptocurrencies out there, Paul? Yeah, I think the biggest one to talk about is storage of wealth. Uh, and the utility of that in of itself, mainly because 
the most prominent cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, uh, falls in this category. That if you were to look at, again, this what type of asset is Bitcoin, while it has other use cases, certainly being a storage of wealth uh, has been one of them, you know, for people in, in stable governments as well as people in, in, in regions of the world that are less stable. So Venezuela um, is a good example where if you have your, again, your storage of your wealth uh, in a different cur a currency that's uh, going through hyperinflation, you all of a sudden are you know, needing a place to reserve or, or move your money to. So, What's a non-cryptocurrency example of a storage of wealth? So this, in this case, they call it fiat, or, or in this case, um, centralized banking solutions. So the Bolivar or the US dollar, the Euro, those type of uh, um, gold is, 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 is effectively kind of come the standard. Uh, when, when, when you are uh, looking at a solution outside of those fiat, storing your money um, in, in a bank. So there's storage of wealth. What about uh, moving money around? So the second use case is if you're not just storing it, you're actually using it as a, a transaction, uh, a currency. So you're not just holding your money in a bank, or you're not just, uh, in this case, gold. That's where kind of gold starts to fall apart is, well, you really can't transact and use the currency. Bitcoin, again, even though you can use it and store it and hold it, you can also use it to transact, use it to, to pay. And, and obviously solutions are coming out um, to enable that to, to, to be faster, to, to be more uh, widespread. So adoption rate grows. But there are other currencies that are trying to compete in that same space. Um, so Stellar, uh, Ripple, um, even the, there was a fork or a split from Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin Cash, that are saying, hey, we can improve. Maybe we don't want to improve on the store storage. We just want to improve on the transaction, the actual currency, the actual use of it. Um, so in this case, again, going back to older systems or current systems, you're then looking at um, Visa and, and the use of, uh, of currency in that capacity. Obviously, the limitations there are, one, again, financial services that are not available to all 7 billion people on the world. Um, look at international cross-payment systems. Again, broken, broken systems, what are, what are solutions? So these are global solutions that, that anyone would be able to have access to. So we've got storage of wealth, we've got currency for moving money around. Uh, I often hear uh, people, their argument against cryptocurrency is how volatile it is. Is there something that, that maybe helps uh, to prevent volatility or maybe kind of uh, balance out volatility? Yeah, to, to, as an example of a use of currency, but in a more stable fashion, there's stable coins. And, and it's, uh, especially here in 2018, there's been a, a growth of it. So the, there's Tether, there's True USD, and there's a whole host of other stable coins popping up that are backed either through a smart contract and then have a um, reserve, or they're just um, backed by the US dollar. Uh, backed by the euro, they have different um, systems in place to allow it to always have one tether equals one dollar or whatever the case may be. Now, when you talked about the issue of, of China and censorship, these coins we're talking about by and large are public. They are 
um, seen as um, you could trace the address to, to, to this IP address of this holder or this person. To get around that, the fourth asset or fourth type of coin, especially in line with this idea of how to use cryptocurrencies as actual currencies, um, are privacy coins. Um, Monero being the biggest one that, that you may have heard of, but these are ones that are set up to obfuscate and hide, one, how much money is being transferred, who it's being transferred to, and where it's coming from. Now, obviously, if you're paying for a cup of coffee, that becomes less of an issue. Uh, but if you're a business owner or you're someone, again, who's maybe holding their, their wealth, um, but they are concerned for the government trying to crack down or um, trace back or um, follow your transactions, that privacy um, does become a more critical issue, again, in certain systems that, that, that need it. To shift outside of this, not simple, uh, certainly these aren't simple solutions, but the, the idea of using currencies as a, uh, cryptocurrencies as a mode of payment or, or mode of storage of wealth, then we start to dive into um, the technology uh, of smart contracts. And so this is the fifth asset that when you hear about Ethereum, Ethereum's not here to compete with Bitcoin. It's not, um, the technology behind it isn't about storing wealth. It's not about paying for uh, international uh, payments. It's saying, what else can we do with this technology? What else can we build on the blockchain that's not just currency? And that's what we call these smart contract platforms. So Ethereum, Zilliqa, VeChain, they're all about saying, what can we put on the blockchain that is not tied just to a currency, but is tied to kind of examples you gave, data, um, that is tied to, and I'll let you jump in with a few examples yourself, but what else can we write into a contract that then is secured, transferred, and stored cryptographically on a blockchain? As soon as you start mentioning smart contracts and the technology, I get excited, right? My, my blood starts to, to go a little faster. Um, and it's because uh, I've, I've learned like the, the technology can make a difference, right? So like which, which programming language is it built on top of, right? So Ethereum is built on Solidity, which is similar to JavaScript. So it's very accessible, um, but you can almost paint your way into a corner very quickly. Um, or it, it, uh, it seems very simple until you uncover some of the bugs that can happen or can come out that you can lose all of your money uh, if you don't do this, right? If you don't add in an exit, uh, you know, or a way to like um, pull out the funds, it becomes this black hole where all the funds can go in and no, none of the funds can come out, right? And so there's people that are using different programming languages to, to solve that or to make it, it more accessible for more people to be able to write a smart contract uh, without all those complications. Um, so, uh, you know, EOS is one where they're, they're doing it uh, in something similar to C++. Um, and uh, a whole slew of others, you know, Zilliqa is written similar to Ethereum, but, ha but has some differences. VeChain is also similar. And in the future, we're gonna talk about what, even within this 
especially within this asset, you know, differentiates them. You know, we talk about transaction speed. We talk about the the the, the for who's validating, what teams are developing. Going back to our first episode, what are the three different things that impact the decentralization of a project? But as a whole, you have new solutions that can now be developed because there's these smart contract platforms. And so when you talked about how do you solve for identity? How do you solve for authentication? How do you solve for uh, other use cases where you're um, running ads in a very decentralized way where users can still be served ads, but you're not just giving up your data. Mm -hmm. That's made possible because of these smart contract platforms. Yep. And the sixth asset is what we call utility tokens. And that's the actual tokens themselves. So you're, you're, um, you're holding your identity. You're holding your data. You're, in this case, let's say it's a supply chain, you know, um, a use case on VeChain. It's, that's the utility token itself is what's being transferred back and forth, the tracking of this product um, through, um, let's say it's the shoe industry and you're tracking, um, I was reading uh, Phil Knight's memoir and he talks about in the early days, it's just, you build a company, well, anyone else can just knock it off. Um, if they've got someone, uh, technology and, and smart on the inside, so it's like, how do you validate and secure and have a trustless system that you know as a consumer, you're getting what you are, um, thought you were receiving. And so that's a case where, okay, you're not using the contract, you're not using the smart contract system itself, you're using the utility token on top of that smart contract system. And so to me, that's kind of the, again, when you get excited, it's like, oh wow, this, this idea of cryptocurrency, um, the adoption has so far to go <laughs> yeah. when we talk about day-to-day -day use. Um, that you're not just, again, transacting money, you're not just a developer and a team developing a contract system, you're actually utilizing tokens in yeah. your day-to-day -day transaction. Again, transfer of data, transfer of, of, of identity, transfer of, 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 in this case, products. Yeah. Well, it, and as you were talking about that, uh, one thing that um, I thought of is like, Somebody might say, well, why do you need a token instead of why don't you just use that currency? Like, what's the difference between using a token versus using the, the underlying currency? Like, why don't you just have, use an Ether, you know, in Ethereum to represent that? Well, uh, the, the example that I thought of was, let's say you want to go to a concert ticket and you want to create, you know, 10,000 unique tickets and be able to differentiate the difference between those tickets. And maybe only 10 of those get a backstage pass, right? And so you might want to have those 10 that get a backstage pass, like be unique. And each one, ha you know, like, you know, years from now, you might be able to say like, I was number nine of number 10 of the people that got to go backstage for this concert, right? And so in that case, you want it to be a verifiably, verifiably unique token. You don't want it to have just be like, oh, I gave $10 and got a ticket. And then, you know, like, uh, you want to have a utility token that's also verifiably unique, right? And so that's an example of, um, you know, the, the price of a, of a concert ticket might even fluctuate, but it, it's not like the, the price of a currency fluctuating. It's like you the want value the value of that ticket, right? Or the value of that utility token, you do want it to be able to fluctuate up and down based off of market demands, off of supply and demand. Well, it's funny you mentioned this unique uh, value and, and that's where 
something that wasn't possible before, but now is, is called, um, they call non-fungible. So if you were to talk about utility tokens or currencies as being fungible in the sense that, you know, one, you know, I give you a dollar, you give me a dollar, it doesn't, the unique aspect of that dollar isn't worth more than this dollar, they are fungible, they can go back and forth. But then when we talk about getting the non-fungible, whether it be an example of tickets or um, what's, what's already been put on, art being put on the blockchain, where you say my, my holding of this specific token, which represents this artwork, is very unique and, and verifiably unique that no one else in the world can own. And so you talk about replication, you talk about copyright issues in the, in the, in the broken systems of the past, you couldn't really have that unique aspect that this digital file, I just copy and paste over here. <laughs> right. You know, there's no contract written. Again, the smart contract system allows it. So this seventh asset type is called non-fungible tokens. Tokens that cannot be interchanged for one or the other, but are written in a way that can be transferred and can or can be cryptographically signed and traced back to you if you so choose to say, yes, this is mine or I have the ninth ticket, I have one of these five that exist in the world. Yeah. And that's a whole new world that continues to open up. And to kind of recap before we jump into our last example and, and kind of open up to the whole idea that this is ever evolving space, you have, at least in my mind, a group of, of assets that are really based on currency and wealth and the financial industry. Then you have this whole other system that we just talked about with the smart contracts, the utility tokens, and these non-fungible tokens. They're really built on, man, if you can write code <laughs> that, that makes solving identity and makes solving infrastructure, makes solving um, art, um, ownership possible in a way that's never been done before, that's where you know you can, you can probably notice our voices start to change right now is, is you just start getting all excited about what's just possible in this space. And, and so you really, even though we've gone through seven different assets, you really have these, these two different assets groupings you know thus far but really you get in the nitty-gritty you have these seven different assets thus far but you think of it as in terms of currencies um, payments storage of wealth and then you start getting into utility smart contracts non-fungible tokens well and you brought up a great point that I, I want to kind of hammer in is that a lot of these things uh, you know even these different categories uh, are possible because of smart contracts right and so uh, the technology is building on itself, right? The fact that smart contracts exist allow for uh, non-fungible tokens to exist, right? And so we needed one thing in order to build the next thing, right? And so we don't know what some of the, the next things are gonna be because the, we keep laying this groundwork uh, you know, infrastructure that is just going to enable more cool things to happen, right? Uh, and so we don't know, you know, that we say there's eight categories right now, but uh, it could really be subdivided into many more categories very soon that, that haven't even been invented yet or haven't even found a need, you know, like who would have thought digital artwork, having a, a non-fungible digital artwork was going to become a thing, right? But in an increasingly digital age, it makes sense that you'd want to be able to have like you know, oh, I bought this thing and it's verifiably unique, you know, and to show it off or to put it on your website and to, to say like, no, this is the only version that's, that's real or that's unique. And speaking of that notion of building on what's come before, there is uh, the, this last asset, security tokens, which 
again, it wasn't possible before if you didn't have smart contracts that allowed a company, and I'll go, we'll go into what it, this actually means, but allowed a company to write and say, our stock or our ownership of a company is gonna be divided into this uh, many tokens and it's gonna have this distribution model. That the smart contract system had to be in place. And you also had to figure out the currency model of uh, transaction speed, of, 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 of use of, of transacting back and forth, that you kind of take both of these worlds, the, the currency world and, 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 and wealth and smart contracts and okay, wow, now all of a sudden you have solutions for how do you put stocks, how do you put real estate, how do you put um, even representation of gold, how do you put what have in the past have been securities um, or deemed securities in, in, in the financial world, how do you put that on the blockchain? How do you, not, how do you take it from paper? <laughs> how do you pick it, take it from, uh, uh, again, an a, a e-trade system and actually make it accessible to people worldwide? Mm -hmm. Again, a financial, um, not that we're focused just on the financial system, but by and large, again, if you're in the United States, Yes, you have access to a Fidelity account, you have access to a brokerage account, but not everyone does. Or if you're a company that wants to go public and you can hire a lawyer and go through the system in, in, in the US, not a problem. Let's say you're um, a startup or a company in uh, a developing country that doesn't have those systems in place or maybe doesn't have access to the investors, but that has the same vision, has the same quality of team, has the same um, breakthrough or something that hasn't been done before, um, technology that has yet to get out into the world but doesn't have the ability to get people to invest into it or to trade it. Now all of a sudden you can, if you had a worldwide system in place for securities, yeah. now you have, again, a smart contract system that has the speed to, to be able to um, get out to everyone. Now, okay, now we're talking about solutions again that were never in place. So that last asset is, is what we call security tokens that is yet to really be publicly traded yeah. um, and has yet to really come out, but we might see in 2019. Well, and there's, there's some benefits to it, and I can think of quite a few, but I'm only going to do one, which uh, when, you, when you think about um, dividing up a company, so uh, going public, quote unquote going public, which is to securitize a company and to break it up into constituent parts where different people can own pieces of that company. There, what are the benefits to that? Well, it's to fundraise, it's to, um, to grow quickly. You know, when Starbucks wanted to grow really big, they went public in order to raise a whole bunch of funds and to, to grow even larger, right? And so if you're a company that would benefit from going public, but in a, in a country that doesn't allow that, you know, or where it's really difficult or you have to bribe some people, that's challenging. Well, uh, I, I'm excited because like, what happens in a world where, uh, where going public is as easy as popping up a lemonade stand, right? Where a kid in high school could eat very easily not raise millions of dollars, what if they just need to raise $500 and they wanted to break it up? Right? Yeah, to get equity, to ah. be able to, to, to have that freedom uh, to be able to innovate and not have to rely on a loan or not be able to get that loan because they don't have like, well, what business have you done before? Uh, none. Right. It's like, well, you know, you're out of luck unless you have family members or friends that are willing to loan you the money. So there's always been this barrier to entry to do that. And I feel like this is lowering that barrier to entry for people to get in and to start businesses and even to fail at a level that doesn't sink them and try again.
you know? And so that's exciting to me that it's opening the doors to letting people start businesses, uh, you know, especially in places where maybe they're a woman and, you know, they live in a country where there's this stigma around being a woman business owner. They could do it anyway because they could, quote unquote, incorporate on the blockchain and be beholden to their uh, token holders on the blockchain. Awesome. All right. Until next week. See you then. See ya.